0: Hey, welcome to Night School. And you know, it's funny how things work, because a couple weeks ago I did an episode of Every Night's a School Night. The the sixth anniversary of the show is coming up, and I said something at the beginning of the episode along the lines of, you know, this train ain't gonna stop. And uh, famous last words, because then life throws the ultimate train stopper at you. Uh, And I don't feel bad about saying that kind of stuff, you know, ain't nothing gonna break my stride, because I don't feel like it's been broken, even though the most difficult experience I could have ever imagined going through, and not just imagined, but the most difficult experience I have ever lived through happened to me uh, eight days ago, and that's uh, the death of my mom, uh, which I was there for, and was unexpected. And I've been wanting to talk about it on this show and that's a funny thing too because when my cat Rosie died she was 17 and a half I did a little thing and I, I made this deal about how would, this isn't an episode I'm just talking and this and that like I felt like it's the need to I felt like it would somehow corrupt her Rosie's memory to like incorporate it into the show like I was just like you know it, it's almost you know the way that like You know, creative people tend to, you know, appropriate everything and put it in the context of their creativity and how there's something kind of impure about that sometimes. Sometimes. And when I, when Rosie died, I just, I didn't want to make it about the show. I just wanted to talk about my beloved cat. And uh, it's funny though, with something much larger, like the death of my mom, who I was extremely close to. And, you know, as I said, I was there with her. And I might go into a little detail about that, um, you know, on the show here. I might, who knows what I'll say. I mean, honestly, who knows what I will say. All bets are off. (laughs) But, uh, uh, you know, I don't feel any reservation or need to make this out to be more sacred than it is because it is so sacred that I feel like I have a whole spectrum of movement, I feel like I have a full range of motion he- here. And being at the epicenter of what happened, and in the, both in the moment and in the wake of my mom's death, being at the absolute epicenter gives me this strange freedom and liberation to express myself any way I want. And because my relationship with her was so strong... I feel like I all I feel is this, you know, pure um just uh, there's just a purity there. You know, there's a purity there that I haven't experienced through other difficult situations and I understand some people and I've spoken to them in the last week have had more complicated relationships with their parents or their mom and that leaves them with some more conflicted feelings to go through. And that's not to say there weren't ups and downs in my relationship with my mom. I mean, it's hard to really see any true downs. But I will say that I'm, I'm a moody person. Uh, I'm a stubborn person. And, you know, you don't always get along with your parents. But I can say that I got along extremely well with my mom and we had a very close relationship. And I was able to spend a great deal of time with her over the last year. And I think a part of me kind of... I'm not going to say I had a premonition, there were definitely a few things in the the couple weeks before she passed away where I just had this kind of weird feeling about her and things and that something might happen. But I I didn't really want to think about it and I didn't really want to dwell on it. And I wouldn't say that I had some true premonition, but just I had kind of a sense of things. And she made some comments and I had some of my own thoughts and observations. And they had nothing to do with her physical condition or mental condition. They were just, they were larger than that. And it's hard to really say what that was, but I did feel them. And she died of... Uh, a necrotizing infection that we could not have predicted or, and didn't even identify until the minutes before her death. Uh, but she, yeah, she fell ill with a fever, and then the next day had some itching, and then broke out in hives, and then her skin kind of developed a strange patterning, which I believe they called sepsis. Or was I don't I don't, I don't know medicine. I don't know health. I'm just kind of throwing out the words I heard from the nurses and doctors. And it wasn't until they had her in a surgery to drain what they believed was an abscess causing her infection that they discovered it was a necrotizing fasciitis. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, and uh, they they discovered that it was that. this I'll just call it a necrotizing infection. I believe it's the same thing as what people call flesh-eating disease. And, uh, but, uh, that so it was something we could not have predicted, and by the time we knew something was wrong, it was already in her system, and it was already affecting her physically and mentally, because uh, that's what it does, it gets in your blood, and a part of your body is dying while you're still alive, and I was there for all of it. I had to get her to the, I took her to a couple ERs, and at first they thought it was an allergy and sent her home, and then uh, we ended up in another ER, and then, A day goes by, they take her to the ICU, and they didn't think she was going to die that I know of. They were very concerned. You know, her vitals were dropping, she did not look good, and her mental condition was very much affected by this infection. But uh, my understanding is they thought they had a chance, you know, but then in surgery when they discovered that it was this necrotizing thing, uh, not only did she... Not only did they lose her in surgery due to her vitals crashing, to her blood pressure crashing, uh, but they when they also discovered that it was this necrotizing infection at that point, it was like there's not much hope when it reaches that stage. And going back to what I was saying, though, about how, you know, there's this idea of like treating, you know, worrying a little too much about how to talk about these things or, you know, what what's sacred about it or what's not and when everything about something is sacred to you which my mom was it does give you this freedom to discuss it how and when you see fit and I had the same sort of realization being in her house and realizing after she passed that everything in this house has the potential to be sacred everything in this house essentially is sacred even some snack that is opened and in a plastic bag in the cupboard, you know, it's very easy to be like, oh, this is something my mom was snacking on, you know, in the days before her death. And you can turn that into, you can make an institution out of that. You know, you could bronze that if you want. And, but there's a certain freedom in looking around and being like, well, since everything has the potential to be sacred here, that means I can actually, you know, that means I actually have a lot of choice in terms of what I choose to make sacred. And that's helped me through this process, and it's it's helped me just in everything I've talked about with people, you know, because with some people, uh, there's this sort of false reverence, and there's this need to, to sort of not look at the reality and, and treat everything like it's in this box, and they have to keep everything inside of this box, and when someone dies, they do that. And some of that is because they do have conflicted relationships with the person and they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to be honest with themselves. Uh, They worry about what other people think. And I don't need to worry about being reverent about my mom because she had such an insanely high place in my life. And I had such a high place in her life that the reverence is there no matter what and that's allowed me to find the humor it's allowed me to find the good and it's allowed me to find the sorrow in all of this it's allowed me to it's allowed me like i said to to go through a full range of motion and that just depends on how i feel at any given moment and overall there's been a lot of good that has come from this and her being such a kind and generous and open-hearted and open-minded person makes me look at all of the good that has already come from her passing and say, hey, you know, her final gift, her final gifts, I don't think there's just one, are these things. You know, I've reconnected with people I haven't talked to in years. And that's another thing that's funny about all of this is the way that it's kind of completely twisted my head around. Uh, Even just thinking about some of the things I was talking about on this show in the last weeks and months, and even going back to the beginning of the show, some of the things that I thought I believed about myself, about the world, and I know I did an episode not that long ago about, you know, a sense of community and what that means and how I'm not a very communal person and, you know, it's just this thing I thought about myself where it's like community isn't natural or important to me and therefore I'm not a communal person and I feel uncomfortable in communities of any kind. And looking back on that, I just I have to smile because something like this will really bring the community out of you. And I've been dealing with most of it by myself, I will say, first of all. Um, most of my family lives up north, and I will be seeing them for Christmas, and they've been just phenomenally supportive. And it's really brought us closer together uh, in many different ways already which is, you know, like I said, it's another one of those gifts, it's another one of those good things that has come from something tragic. And the word tragic just sounds silly to me right now. Uh, Not because it... not, And not in that sense of like, oh, tragedy doesn't even begin to describe what happened, you know, what I went through, watching my mom die in front of me. You know, it's like, it's not even that, it's just the word tragedy itself, it just sounds too much like some genre Uh. It's not that it doesn't describe the weight of the sorrow or something like that. It's a fitting word in that way, but it's almost like it's too limiting. It's too limiting because it doesn't describe all of the, the good, the strange, the beautiful, and all sorts of other things that have flooded me in addition to the sorrow and loss and the you know, so so it's like tragedy just seems like one small facet of this situation to me. Um, but, uh, you know, I have dealt, you know, I've had an immense amount of support, but I have dealt with this largely on my own. A lot of the just small practical things I've had to deal with with the house. You know, I've had immense support in multiple ways with that but I've been just tackling as much as I can by myself and taking as much responsibility as I can when it comes to the hands-on stuff I should say uh, and that's just how I operate it's how I thrive I like I like it when the the pedal meets the metal or whatever it is people say uh, I like it when I have to really step up and and you know you know, just to use another cliche, put my money where my mouth is. Because it's like, I don't do all the things I do, and I especially haven't done all the things I've been doing in the last couple of years to just fall apart when this happens. You know, I've had some smaller, relatively smaller experiences like this in the last couple of years where I've had to step up and you know, really see if all of the practice and training I do, both mentally, physically and spiritually and otherwise, to see if that really is something more than just like a hobby or or an interest. And I do feel that it has done something. But to go back to what I was saying about community, it's funny how I was talking about this idea. Well, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with the idea of community and I'm not a communal person and all this. And something like this will really bring that out of you where, uh, well, it'll shake that. It'll shake you out of that mindset real quick because the communal outpouring and the communal support I've received, and not one singular community. It's not like there's a local community that I'm talking about. Uh, just the cross sections between people in my mom's life, past and present. The cross sections of people in my life, past and present. And those things intersecting and those things coming at me all at once has been a profound experience, and I've spoken to people who I love, friends of mine who I love, who I've had conflicted relationships with in recent years, and they've just, it's shaken the rust off and it's blasted the doors off, and I understand that it's going to take work, but just the fact that my mom's passing brought this out and, and made some of these things happen, she would be thrilled. She was someone who loved bringing people together. And so the fact that her passing has already brought people together who really ought to have reconnected in this lifetime. You know, I've been able to reconnect with people who I am so glad I talked to, people I haven't talked to in 20 years, people I haven't talked to in two years, people I talk to every day. You know, it's it's really... it's. It's created an interesting intersection, and I do feel this sense of community and different communities. And that's it's just—it's funny though to look back at my attitude just a few weeks ago, or just my attitude. Yeah, it, I was feeling like this minor, this this low grade depression a couple of weeks ago. Some things just hadn't panned out exactly the way I wanted, and. I fortunately wasn't in some deep funk. I wasn't wallowing in it too much, but I was just sort of like, hey, I'm kind of feeling this this thing holding me down a little bit. And part of it's, you know, by choice. Part of me is indulging in it, and part of me uh, just feels affected by some things that didn't quite go my way. And this will knock that stuff out of you real quick. And, of course, you might return to it. You know, I might return to some of those feelings. But it's it's funny how something like this has that cleansing effect. It turns your head around. It twists your head around when it comes to certain things you thought you knew about yourself. But it also takes those little things you were experiencing at the time that were temporary. Like, say, like a, just a low-grade depression... And it just burns that right out of you. And it's not to say it's gone, but it, it really, <laughs> having something like this happen does something to whatever was going on in your head and in your body, for that matter. Um, so it's I, I have felt this strong sense of community, and that is a power. And I don't know what that's going to be like moving forward, because I've already experienced, you know, so as the momentum has Uh, died down, no pun intended, you know, it's, it's, I've already felt this growing emptiness where I'm like, okay, you know, I talked to more people in the span of three days than I think I've talked to in the last 10 years, especially on the phone, you know, through messages, emails. Uh, I was describing it to a friend as, you know, I felt like I was in the control center of a battle station and both mentally and physically, because I had these phones. I had my phone, my mom's phone, I had a computer I had all these different ways that I was communicating with people, talking to people, and you know figuring the practical things out as well. There's a lot of practical stuff because you something I did not know about death, at least death in the intensive care unit, is your loved one dies and they say you can stay there as long as you want with them. Um, fortunately, I didn't feel the need to do that. I had my moment with my mom, my f- the final moment. I was there, you know, holding her hand, uh, touching her when her heartbeat stopped. So I was there for that. And I, I wanted to look at her, you know, for just a short period of time after she passed. But, you know, some of the wisdom that she passed on to me concerning just life and death, really hit home in those moments where I remember her saying that, you know, when someone dies, that is just their body there. And she was a spiritual person, a very open spiritual person. And I've realized in recent years how much I've absorbed that from her without her deliberately trying to pass it on or teach me. But, you know, she didn't have a specific orthodox set of beliefs, but she did learn things. She experienced some deaths early on in her life, and she was a very independent person who went on a long journey who saw the world who came from nothing lived on a a, a farm with a family in deep poverty you know tons of kids and uh, you know some abuse in the household things like that and she managed to become a stewardess in the 60s when it was at its full glamour and traveled the world and and her life journey took her many places and she learned a lot of things and I'm Thinking a lot about that the last week about the the many things that I just knew to be the many stories and many just philosophical, ca- casually philosophical comments she made over the years that some of which you know I took to heart at the time and some of them I just was like yeah mom okay but now they're really hitting home and and I've realized how much she prepared me and how much she you know trained me in some ways to deal with this situation because there were points in my life where I felt like if my mom suddenly died keep me away from sharp objects and and cliffs you know because and I talked to a friend actually who who said the same thing himself he was like I don't know if my mom dies I might just kill myself and I don't think he was serious but it, I was just like you know what I know that feeling I know that feeling but it's strange to now be here in this place where I'm like she prepared me so well for this and i didn't even know it i didn't even know it you know i you know I, i've it's just it's just one of those funny things uh, i'm trying to get back to what i was saying i guess it doesn't matter i'll just go with the total flow here it doesn't matter about what kind of you know narrative or conversation this is because it's just it's all coming from it's all coming just direct and that's been another good thing about this is I haven't felt much... I don't feel like anything is getting slowed down. I don't feel like anything is getting twisted up. I don't feel like any wires are getting crossed. And I just feel this pure flow of feeling and thought. And there's really not much distinction between those things. But, uh, you know, when I was uh, feeling like I was in the control center of the battle station and the epicenter of this... Uh, It gave me a lot of purpose, and everything I was doing felt meaningful, and I guess in that way it really did feel like the control center of a battle station, because every decision seemed to have weight. Every person I contacted, every phone call I had to make, every practical thing I had to do felt like it had such meaning and purpose in a way that I never knew before. And I try to find the meaning and purpose in everything I do, even if it's just silly, even if it's just joking around, even if it's just being, you know, irreverent. I try to find some meaning and purpose in that without getting pretentious or anything like that. But it was strange to have to be in this state where everything was just, you know, flowing from one moment to the next and, and there was nothing breaking that up. And to feel like every single decision, or even non-decision, that's the other thing too, is even when I wasn't doing something, everything felt so purposeful and meaningful. And this week, things are a little more empty, which is not surprising, you know, because you don't talk to as many people once the news spreads, and there are people I could reach out to. But I, I have less to say. You know, I have less to say to people this week and i think it's good that i have less to say to people i think it's good that i i have some time to really reflect on my own cuz you don't want to just completely distract yourself you want to you want to let some you want to let some things naturally take hold but uh but going back to the hospital i mean that was something i didn't know about you know when someone dies in the icu and you know, those final moments, like she was in surgery, they they discovered that it was this necrotizing thing, her vitals crashed, I believe she actually died in surgery, and when they were, they they were able to get her heart going again, and they were going to bring her back to the room where I was waiting for her, and they told me that I needed to get out, because I didn't want to, they didn't want me to see them try to resuscitate her or anything like that, and they... Uh, they had me talk to a chaplain and she was nice she was Buddhist and there were a lot of Buddhist parallels going on that I won't get into here including you know with me with my mom with uh, and my mom and I were neither of us were practicing Buddhist but it was something that uh, I've had an interest in obviously if you listen to this show and she always was she was one of those people who was like you know I don't really be- know what I believe in but you know I like Buddhism you know she my whole life she made comments like that and so these Buddhist parallels were interesting, and maybe I'll go into detail about those at another time when I've had a, a chance to really think about them and see where that goes. Uh, but the chaplain turned out to be Buddhist as well, and you know, she did. It was one of those things where it's like I think she realized that she couldn't do much to help me, you know. And and as they were trying to resuscitate my mom, it's like as when my mom I think actually flatlined. Uh, the, these alarms went off and it was like in a movie where it's like code blue, code blue, and I see people running down the hall, room 121, and it's like, you know that's your mom's room. And it's very difficult, I'm not going to say it's easy, but I just kind of let it be exactly what it was and I made sure that my mind was there and that I knew the reality was playing out. And it was surreal, but it was more real than it was surreal. And... You know, I, I was able to, and I, you know, they asked me, like, if I wanted to do anything, if I, if I wanted to, if I wanted them to basically do whatever they could to keep her going, you know, what, whatever that entailed. I mean, it could have, it might have involved an amputation given the nature of the infection, but it was clear that no matter what they did, she was not going to be herself again. And there was a strong chance she was going to die anyway. Uh, I mean I think I really think it was inevitable based on what they said that she was going to be gone no matter what and even if they were able to keep her vitals going it was clear that mentally and physically this infection had already done enough of a number on her that she was not going to exist in the same functional capacity she once did and that's another way that I felt her hand guiding me through all this even though it was difficult even though I was there alone with her Having to make very difficult decisions and process a very difficult situation, I really felt her hand guiding me through that particular thing because uh, she had always told me that, you know, when the time comes, you know, basically pull the plug if it's going to come down to me existing in any kind of diminished capacity. And she had survived a stroke a couple of three years ago and bounced back really great, like, you know, she bounced back so hard from that stroke, and quit smoking, and she was so proud to have quit smoking, you know, for her health, so that she didn't, you know, increase the likelihood of another stroke, and I was so grateful she bounced back, and she, she really did not want to be limited in, in any way, she didn't want to be limited, except in the ways that, you know, old age will inevitably limit you, but even then, she didn't want to live on too long in old age, if it meant, not being able to take care of herself. And so when they gave me this option of basically like, you know, stringing her along in some and and possibly not even succeeding, I just said, "You know what? Let me know when you have her heartbeat going and I want to go in and spend time with her and then we'll pull the plug and I want to be with her." And that's exactly what we did. And I'm not hesitant to talk about this because that's another funny thing, like talking about things, what's sacred and what's not and what you should talk about, what you shouldn't. And I think because I feel such a, a, a freedom in all of this, being at the center and being immediately transformed by the experience, I'm not hesitant to talk about these things. Whereas there are so many things that if you're a spiritual person or if you're whatever it is you believe in. You know, we tend to be like, "Oh, I can't talk about that. That's my little secret. That's 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 my little secret. That's just for me." And or or I'm uh, if I talk about that, it's going to somehow diminish the power of that thing. And I think there's a good, you know, there's a reason we think that way about some things. And I think it's good to think that way sometimes. And it's especially good to know who you're talking to about something and why. And, and you need confidants in that way, and I certainly have people that I consider confidants that I talk to about some of these things that I would never share with other people. Uh, first, because other people just don't want to hear it. Second, because they just aren't really in a place to understand it, maybe. Uh, but my mom was one of those confidants, and fortunately, fortunately I have others as well. But in this particular situation, I think it's been so powerful, and I have so much to say that I... I can't possibly say in this one episode, but uh, it's it's been so immediately transformative and all-encompassing and has really brought my birth a- and entire life full circle and made me feel whole in some strange way. And because of that, I'm not afraid to... I don't feel like I need to keep any secrets. And maybe there are things that I will say or won't say, but I don't feel the need to, like, make anything more sacred than it already is. Uh, And, you know, in those final moments with my mom, it's like I was thinking how her... You know, I was looking at her and she was unconscious and, you know, on life support and I was holding her hand and then I had them pull that. I had them pull the life support so that she didn't have a tube down her throat and didn't have IVs hooked up. And from there, it was just a matter of minutes. And, I, you know, I realized later that, you know, I think that's the first. It's definitely the first person I've seen die. You know, watching my mom die as I held her. I held her hand, and I touched her, and I stroked her hair, and that's definitely the first person I've seen die. It's definitely the first person who I've been touching while they die, and I believe it's even the first dead person I've seen. I'm trying to think of any other time where I've seen a dead person, aside from in pictures or footage of some kind, and I don't know. If I have... it. it, I feel like I should remember it, and I feel like it's something that I must have passed very quickly, maybe an accident or something. But I don't think in person, certainly not up close, that I've even seen a dead person, let alone watch someone actually leave, actually pass. And it's so fitting to me that it was my mom. The, the, the person who gave birth to me is also the first person that I saw die. And just that full circle element. It's like a, you know, a special knot being tied. That is just so important to me. And as difficult as it was, having had that experience, I wouldn't have traded it for anything. I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere except for the front lines. Except for, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to be anywhere except for the hospital. And then finally by her bedside as she passed. And uh, that's given me a great deal of power and peace in all of this. It's given me strength, and I'm so grateful that I was there. And I, I've thought about this, too, because it's it's like if you can't be there by your parents' bedside, whatever your relationship is with them, it's not like I think you're missing something. I mean, I that's prob- there's probably a certain power to being somewhere else, too, and going through that experience you know on the other side of the world and just hearing about it i mean i think there's probably a power to that there's probably a lot that you can take from the death of a parent especially one you love immensely there's probably you know any multitude of combinations of experiences you can have that impact you that transform you but i know for me personally it, it was such a gift to be there with her and it was truly the greatest honor I've ever had, aside from being born to her and having a mother who was so important to me and so important to so many other people and who impacted so many people. And I've thought a lot about the unconditional love she had for for so many people she knew. And to think that she loved me more than that almost makes me feel guilty. (laughs) You know, I'm like, you know, she had unconditional love for so many people, and she loved me even more than that. You know, that is that is a heavy thought, that immeasurable love. To think that you were loved by someone more than their unconditional love for a multitude of people. This kind and generous angel of a human being who, you know... You saw all the different sides of her. I saw all the different sides of her and you know I knew when she was real. I knew when she didn't like somebody. I knew, you know, when I I knew her deepest thoughts, you know. She was very open with me about some of the things she thought about. And like I was saying, a lot of that did prepare me. You know, even as a kid she would talk about death and and her philosophy on death. And that maintained consistent throughout her entire life, from my earliest memories of her talking about it up until, you know, her death. Really, uh, I remember her uh, maintaining a very consistent attitude toward the reality of death, and. Uh, but just to think that, you know, I knew all the different sides of her and I knew I knew what she was like when she got home and didn't want to talk to anybody and just wanted to wear her cute little checkered shirts or checkered flannel shirts and eat her maple desserts and watch true crime shows. I knew what she was like then, what she would call her decompression time. And so I, I knew what she was like away from people and I knew what she was like with people. But it's like I, I'm still... I'm just so energized by this thought of like, wow, this woman loved me even more than the many things that she loved so much. And I almost feel like I'm bragging or something, and I think I am. I think I am bragging because she was such a special woman that how could I not brag about that? How could I not brag about the fact that she loved me that much and I felt it while she was alive? After she died, I feel it. And that's another thing, you know, it's, it's, uh, I wasn't sure if I would feel it right away. You know, I'm not gonna say there was some transfer of energy where, because I was holding her hand and there with her when she had her final heartbeats, I'm not gonna say that some energy was immediately transferred and I suddenly felt it like some special effect, like lightning through my body. Because the reality is you don't really know what to do right then. You know, I was there with her body, and they said I could stay as long as I wanted. But I knew, like, when my cats have died and stuff, that there's not really much value to just hanging around after they've passed. And if somebody does find value in that, you know, everybody has their own experiences. But for me personally, there wasn't going to be—I wanted to get one last look at her as I left, but I wasn't going to just hang around after she died. And they give you a packet with, like, grief counseling resources and memorial options. And then you're out the door. And that's—I was going to talk about that earlier because it's that's something I had no idea about. I had no idea that they just—your your, loved one dies in ICU all of a sudden. And they just hand you a packet, and it's you just walk out the door. I said bye to the staff and nurses. They're just like, oh, see ya. They're like, see ya. And— that doesn't bother me, like, I'm not bothered by it, they have other people whose lives they have to save, or try to save, and uh, the ICU isn't a place to, for everybody to just, uh, you know, people made some nice comments, like, it's like the staff there, they were wonderful, and I, you know, I don't, like I said, I'm not, at no point am I trying to make it sound like this wasn't right, or there's some injustice, it's just a simple reality that I wasn't aware of, is that they hand you a packet and you're out the door, and you don't know anything as far as what, what to do, and, and, you know, maybe if you have, like, a big family unit there, that's different. You kind of figure out a plan to do as a family, but when you're just, a you know, a solitary—when uh, you're the solitary son who was dealing with this situation over the previous few days— and you've just been there with your mom when she dies. There's, you know, I was going to go home, obviously. I had a lot of phone calls to make. I, I had some people to talk to. I had to talk to my sister and my dad and some other people close to my mom. But I knew where I was going. Uh, well, actually, I didn't. I, because, because she had been in the ER and then they moved her to ICU, I didn't actually know where my car was parked or where in the building I was. So I had to go down some stairs and kind of try to wing it. And I ended up in the birthing ward. Which I felt like was a just a funny little twist, where it's like you know, my mother died, I was there with her, and I got lost in the hospital. And the first place I ended up was uh, where all the the new mothers are coming and going. Didn't see any of the babies. It was just the reception for the birthing ward, but it was just kind of a funny little twist. And and you know, it was kind of it was almost cheesy. <laughs> it was cheesy, uh, you know, just going down the stairs and turning a corner and being like, oh. And now this is where mothers are having new babies. Of course, of course, I ended up here. It almost felt like it was by design, you know. It it almost felt like the hospital was like, when someone dies in ICU, make sure they get lost and end up in the birthing ward because it'll be because uh, uh, they they won't they can't help at that point but think about the full circle of life and the relationship between mothers and babies and all of that. Uh, so that was kind of nice, though. I, I did enjoy the cheesiness of ending up there. Uh, but I had a packet in my hand, and it's just, it's like, you don't know what to do. Unfortunately, family helped me and all of that. We we talked through the process. But um, it is a funny thing that you just end up with this packet, with a packet in your hand. Um, but uh, the process since then, you know, it, it was a difficult night, obviously, that I've, I've been hit with a lot of sorrow and grief, but I really have seen this more as an opportunity. And not just the good that's already come of it that I've mentioned, you know, the sense of community and the reconnection and connection. I mean, even people that I'm already connected to, it's enhanced those connections. It's enhanced the relationships that I already had. And I'm someone who tries to keep open channels. In the last couple of years, I've been very self-involved. I mean, I'm a very self-involved person to begin with. But the last couple of years in particular, I really haven't socialized much with my friends, even but I but I've kept an open channel. It was important to me to not let any bad blood develop, not let any problems creep in, and just have that open channel. Because if there's an open channel, you can do anything with that. And they can do anything with that. And when someone contacts you, there is care, there is concern. And having those open channels is important. And so I'm fortunate that I the People kept open channels with me and I kept open channels with them because it is a two-way street. Uh, but, you know, in addition to all of that stuff, all the good that comes along with reconnecting with people and the love I've felt and with people I have never even met. there's I've been talking to my mom's friends, older ladies and stuff, and they, you know, just connecting with them about my mom has been very helpful to me. Uh, but I've also tried to maintain a balance where it's like I, you know, Fortunately, my mom's reputation was so high that my reputation in turn is is enhanced, you know. Uh, there's a saying I like that a friend told me years ago, which is, you know, your reputation will become your currency. And you, I think that's very true in the case of my mom, where she had such a high reputation for... Kindness and generosity and openness uh, to a degree that I, you know, I think of her as this real life Santa Claus. People who say you know Santa Claus isn't real never met her, because she was always giving gifts, always giving her time. She was always giving time. I think that's a big thing that I've realized. In addition to the material things that she gave me and gave everybody she knew, she gave the grandkids of her clients in real estate presents for Christmas. You know, she was just that kind of person. Uh, but uh, with with all of this, you know, her reputation was certainly her currency, and that currency had high value with everybody she knew. And because I'm her son, my reputation is high among them as well. And it's been humbling. It's, th- everything's been humbling in all of this. Uh, but, you know, these people giving me the time of day and talking to me extensively— has been great, and realizing that it's not just my reputation through my mom that has created that, but it's literally what she said about me and what she said about my sister that has made these people feel a connection to me and feel that I'm someone worth talking to beyond condolences. But I've also realized the necessity of balance in all of this, where it's been really interesting to you know feel like I'm a representative of my mom and to feel her inside of me and to think that my life has been instantly transformed, and I now have this opportunity to live a life where some of my mom's virtues can play out through me. And realizing that has been so inspiring, and it's something I'm going to continue to cultivate, because I know that as the reality of this continues to set in, and as life moves forward, you know, that feeling won't go away, because, I mean, the death of my mom is so monumental for me. Uh, But I know that I also have to you know, stoke the fire and cultivate that feeling. Otherwise, it is easy to fall back into routine. It is easy to fall back into old habits. And I do see this as an opportunity to live out some of my mom's better qualities through myself when I'm able, when opportunity strikes. And I've already tried to take that opportunity. And I feel like I've already done some things that I won't detail here that that are in her spirit. And and they are things that I would not have done under my own circumstances, you know, when I when left to my own devices at earlier points in my life. So I feel like I'm already making an effort to do that, and I recognize that it's something I need to cultivate. Even though her spirit is very much a part of me and always will be, I recognize that I can't just take that for granted. Uh, but I also recognize that I need to balance things out, and I do need to retain who I am. And I've tried to make an effort to talk to, you know, not just her friends, not just family, not just people from the past, not just people from the present. But I've tried to talk to my friends and the people who know, you know, the eccentric, you know, whatever I am. I'm not even going to describe myself, but it's important for me to talk to the people who truly know me and the people who I'm truly comfortable with. Um, Because being my mom's son, that is a huge part of my identity. And right now it's a massive part. I feel in some ways like I'm more of my mom's son right now than I've ever been my entire life of being my mom's son. So think about that for a second. But that said, it's also important, you know, I I am my own man and being my own man has been an important part of my life, especially being so close to my mom over the years. It was always important for me to not just be this little mama's boy, even though I don't think there's anything wrong with being a mama's boy. It's always been important for me to have my own identity and be my own man and be independent. And I feel like I've been successful in that. Uh, but it but it was counterbalanced by this, you know, closeness to my mom and this ability to talk to my mom about pretty much anything and to have her constant love and support. Uh, but it's important in this to, you know, not just become my mom all of a sudden. Because that's a weird thing that I feel like I could do. You know, and I've joked around with people like, oh, I'm going to start wearing my mom's clothes. You know, it'd be very easy to get Norman Bates when your mom dies and you're very close to her and her world suddenly becomes your world, it'd be very easy to get weird about it. <laughs> uh, and I think, I, you know, there's no way to not get kind of weird about it when you have something this transformative happen, especially involving the death of your mother. But at the same time, I also recognize I'm not going to just become my mom just because I feel her presence in me already and I, I feel her warmth and strength I'm not gonna become her so it's important for me to balance out who I talk to and and to, and I think doing this show is good too you know even though it feels funny to kind of be like I'm gonna do an episode and my mom just died it feels good in a way to do that and to be able to talk about this in the context of this show and it will change this show forever even just thinking about some of the things I said recently on the show I'm like oh those are those are out the window everything's out the window but it, there's a lot that isn't there's a lot of things that have stayed consistent even in the last week and a week's a short amount of time so I don't know how I'm going to feel next week or a month from now and this is going to be a a constant a constantly unfolding process I know that and I might feel a lot of different things and have a lot of ebbs and flows and not just in in terms of emotion but in terms of just what I'm taking from this and what I'm experiencing and who I am and, uh, but it, it is important for me to maintain that balance and be like, oh, I need to talk to, you know, the friends who know me through this, because that will kind of r- allow me to retain the valuable aspects of myself that those people bring out of me, if that makes sense. Uh, and the same goes for, you know, making more of an effort to talk to family and family members that I don't talk to regularly. And, you know friend, even friends from the past that you know I, I don't talk to very much or haven't talked to in many years I, I see the importance in that in you know having that history together and I think in a lot of ways I've I've run away from that history and it hasn't been a personal thing against anybody but I very much run away from you know my hometown and the connections I had to it And again, it's not not from some deep-seated place, no animosity, but just feeling like that was no longer a part of me. But now I realize that I am still a part of that community in some way. And it might not be some powerful part of me moving forward, but just the fact that it could come out now and be important right now shows you that that foundation means something. But it's not just keeping a balance in who I talk to. And reinforcing those different parts of myself so that I don't so that I don't lose what the things that I built inside of myself that are important to me, but that I also don't lose you know that sense of history and and lose the things from the present that you know are a part of me too. It's 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 not just that, it's also needing to find balance in my actions. And I've found a lot of comfort and strength in having practical tasks to take care of. in financial tasks in figuring out, you know, her her situation because she wasn't prepared and she wasn't prepared for this and I've had to sift through a lot of documents, a lot of stuff, and I will have to sift through a lot more. But balancing that with, you know, looking through sentimental things, which I, I've only cracked the surface of so far. Uh, and having to having to talk to people emotionally, having to talk about her hospital thing, thinking about her stay in the hospital, thinking about what she looked like. Not fearing any aspect of this has been important. And seeing it as a large opportunity, the biggest opportunity I've ever had, the adventure of a lifetime, really. And I know my mom would enjoy that. I know she, she wouldn't want me to... You know, she's someone who didn't fear death. And... It's not that she wanted to die, but it was that she did not cling to... She loved life more than anybody I knew. She loved the details, and through that, she loved the bigger picture. She loved the bigger picture of life through the details. And I've taken a lot from thinking about that in the last week. And, you know, it's made me think about the way that I... I try to, you know, see the bigger picture of things and I it's it's one of those things and I look back on so many of the things I've done over the last few years that I think are healthy and I think, you know, are, you know, strengthening certain parts of myself and this and that and they all seem trivial. You know, when you have something that, that, that it is this immediately transformative that is this immediately transcendental it's very easy to look at these other like little things you do like oh eating healthy, working out, meditating reading about this, studying this. And it's easy to look back on that and be like, oh, that's so trivial. But it's not. It's smaller than this. But those things, I think, prepared me for this too. In the same way that she prepared me in so many ways for this, I see all of those little things, all of those little things I was tweaking the last few years, all of those things that I've talked about doing on this show, and there have been ups and downs to doing those things. Uh, But still, all of those little decisions you make, Uh, that you know are beneficial in some way, and people tell you they're beneficial, you don't really know, you know, they might make you look better and feel better and think clearer in the, both the short term and the long term, but you don't really know their value until you're forced to deal with something like this, and I do believe that I've been able to Find, you know, some source of energy and resource in this situation because those things, because I've I've done those things and they might be trivial in comparison to such a transformational experience like this but they've helped facilitate the transform the transformation too cuz no matter what you know your mother dying whether you love her or hate her whether you talk to her or don't talk to her whether you're there or not there no matter who you are that's going to be a transformative experience you're climbing up another rung in the family tree at the very least and you know it, it does you know bring a lot of things full circle when it comes to just your own life and the entire concepts of life and death and what those actually mean you know it, it's it just it really d- causes a shift in you uh, but uh, you know I look back at the, some of those things those decisions that I've had to make the last few years and as far as my own health goes and my own uh, you know spiritual disposition things of that nature that I, I weren't entirely a choice like they were things that I felt they weren't things that I was like I'm gonna get into this thing they were things that I I I was more following, you know, some deeper impulse when I have done the things I've done. But at the same time, I look back and I'm like, you know, those are, those gave me a foundation to deal with this a lot better at the very least. And there's probably a lot more to it that I haven't even had time to process because believe it or not, I haven't had much time to think about myself. I haven't had a whole lot of time to just sit there thinking about myself like I normally do. And that's wonderful having something like this where i'm not just having to sit there and process how i'm feeling or what i'm going to do or what i'm going to think i've had plenty to do i have a lot of tasks like i said i'm trying to find a balance as far as like what i need to do right now and what i don't need to do but want to do or you know how i'm feeling in a given moment and it's all very pure but it is balanced and i don't you know through through this difficult situation I think that's my goal moving forward, is to try to remain pure but balanced. And I see my mom very much that way. I, th- I think of the life she lived and the person she was and the impact she had, and she was very pure but balanced. You know, a lot of people only knew her as Santa Claus. They only knew her as the kind and generous person that she was. But some of us, and I'm not the only one, but I I think that I had the closest view, saw the different sides of her. The fact that when she didn't like somebody, it was hilarious because she loved so many people. And it was funny when she would talk shit. Uh, and she could be very irreverent. She had a great sense of humor. And it's also important that I don't sanctify her. And, you know, she wasn't perfect and she was the first person to say that. Uh, She, you know, she believed in spoiling her kids. And sometimes I've felt guilty about that. You know, I felt that like, ah, God, I'm really spoiled. I was spoiled and am spoiled. And uh, but at the same time, she believed in she instilled a sense of personal responsibility and would not accept self-pity under any circumstances. And I think that's given me strength in this because I've been like, okay, I now have a newfound sense of responsibility toward her in her wake, and toward myself, and toward everybody I know, and I also, and everything I interact with, I have this newfound sense of responsibility, and I also know that I'm going to get nothing out of pitying myself. I'm going to get nothing out of sitting there being like, eh, I had to watch my mom die from some rare infection that we didn't know she was going to have four days earlier. There's no part of me that sees you know, self pity or anger or any of that. I, I don't, you know, and it's like I talked to somebody who was like, oh, you know, like, because we had taken her to, an e- to a different ER before we took her to the second one, and the first ER just thought it was an allergy. And, and somebody had mentioned, like, oh, it sounds like maybe some medical malpractice. And, you know, I can't even go there. I can't blame anybody. I mean, and, and you could look at hospitals, and some people have had bad experiences in hospitals. And I look at that and I'm like, you know, like I can't, you know, I I don't love hospitals or anything. But it's like while I was there, I had a sense of hope. And I saw what these people were doing to try to keep my mom alive. And there's no way I could possibly take anything negative out of that. If you're in a place and there's any hope of somebody staying alive or being helped, I don't think you can see that as a, a bad place at all. You know, there's a beauty to it, and I'm not eager to go back to the hospital. I mean, uh, a few days after my mom died, I had my own doctor's appointment, and I was gonna cancel it, but then I was like, you know what? It's gonna feel good to go get myself looked at, to get my own issues looked at. After all that, you know, it's gonna feel kind of refreshing just to get my own shit looked at. That's that's gonna be relatively minor, hopefully. You know what I mean? It's like, and they stuck a camera down my nose on a long, he's like a long, thin camera. They stuck it down my nose, and it went all the way down the back of my throat, and they showed me the entire thing on a high-resolution screen. And I was just thinking, like, this week is just full of new experiences. You know, I I watched my mom die, and now I get to see this high-resolution view into the inside of my nose and the back of my throat. (laughs) And it's just like, I never thought I'd see that you know, I'm just, and and that's kind of some of the sense of wonderment I've had through all this, where it's like, you're, I'm really seeing the world slightly differently. And I want to cultivate that. And I want to maintain that. And I know it's not always going to feel this way. But in the same way that my mom really appreciated all of the details, like, you know, we had gone for a walk, um, you know, right before she died. And, uh, she, uh, Exactly one week before she died, we went for this long walk, and it was in the woods. And it was just—it was a wonderful walk. And she was just noticing everything. She was noticing the way that, like, that plant wrapped around that other plant, uh, the way that those tree roots looked. She was just noticing everything, and and she she was able to do that. And you know, I've had that sense, you know, as I felt her in me a little bit, and as I felt changed by this whole experience. I've kind of gone around doing the same thing. I mean, I went to Target, you know, last weekend, and it was just like, I can do this. And, and that was something she took from her experience with having a stroke, where she remembers looking out the window when she was in the hospital with that, not knowing if she'd ever be able to drive again, and seeing cars, like, in traffic, and thinking, those people get to do that. Those people get to just drive their cars and get stuck in traffic today. And I would love nothing more than to be out there doing that. And of course, you're going to not want to be stuck in traffic and all that. Uh, But, you know, her insight into that is so, it's so real. And make, I I would say, you know, make sure you do that when it comes to the, the, the little things that are cool. Make sure you treat those experiences like, Things that are worth experiencing and worth noticing. And a lot of cliches kind of start to bleed into this. But there's a reason why cliches are repeated. There's a reason why cliches are known. And there's a reason why even if you hear them a million times, if you think about what cliches are actually trying to communicate, there's a reason why they are so powerful. And one of those cliches is that idea of feeling your parent inside of you. And like I was saying, I didn't feel some immediate transfer of her into me. It's not like some movie where, like, I was holding her hand as she died, and like I saw some, like, wave of energy go up my arm. I don't know that that didn't happen on some deeper level, and I think it may have. I mean, you think about that moment and how powerful that is, and I'm very open to the idea that that moment itself did something. How I mean, I... I have a hard time seeing how it could have not done something. Uh, But at the same time, when I got home that night and I started calling people, I, I really did have that sensation of her being part of me. And you always hear people say that. You know, when a loved one, particularly a parent, dies, you can feel them in you. And I didn't expect it to be so immediate. And I didn't expect to be so aware of it. And... The way that I, I framed it, you know, in the days after, the first couple days, I was talking to some people, and I was like, you know, my mom was this bright light in my life. And I didn't think that light could get any closer to me than it already was. And with her having died, that light has now become an actual part of me that I can feel. And I had no idea that she could get that much closer. And to feel that, to know that that is there and to be able to take that with me everywhere I go and not just when I'm thinking about it but to know that it is there even when I'm not thinking about it and to know that it could show up and, and it could make itself known at any given time from this moment forward, from last week forward and not just that but to think that it was probably already there too there was already a part of it in me too that is a huge thing that i don't think i will have words to i don't think i'll i'll ever have the words to completely describe what that feeling is and the way i've explained it to a few friends of mine is you know you grow up and you're told that drugs are a certain way or alcohol is a, you know this is what it, you see people in pop culture or you hear people talk about what it's like to be drunk or to take a certain drug and you think you know what that's like you know, you're 12 years old, you think you're kind of cool, and you, you have no idea what that's actually like, to even get stoned, even something like that. And then a couple of years later, you do it for the first time, and you're like, oh. You, there's no way you could know what that's like until the, the sensation actually hits you. There's no way you could know what it's actually like to be drunk until you're actually drunk. And... In, in many ways, this experience is the same way. You have no idea what it's like to feel your parent, your mom inside of you until you actually feel it. And as for the experience itself, you know, to get away from these metaphysical and spiritual ideas, even just the experience itself, there's no way you can know what it's like to be there in the moment that your mom is dying and to be there afterward until you've actually experienced it. And the way that I put it, In something I wrote about my mom was, you know, I was scared to death my entire life. My biggest fear was losing my mom from the time I was a little kid. I would say it was my greatest fear. And it was almost like this peak that I was climbing. Because you know it's going to come. Like, you know your mom is going to die. You don't know when. You don't know how. But you know at some point your mom is going to die. And so there's this peak that you can't see, but you're climbing toward it. And then all of a sudden, you're at th- this needle point tip. You're at the sharpest point of that peak. And you're like, oh shit, this is it. And next thing you know, you're on the other side. And you're like, wow. I'm, I went through that. And that was how I felt you know, the next day, where I was just like, the thing that I feared more than anything, my entire life just happened. It, it's already done. And that's not to say that I won't have other fears, but the thing that I was more scared of than anything else in my entire life happened yesterday. And that is a powerful experience. That alone is a transformational experience. Even if it's something where maybe your biggest fear isn't your mom dying, but it's something else. Maybe it's losing your pinky finger. I don't know, maybe you're really and maybe you're really selfish and and that's what you feared you just feared like losing the tip of your pinky finger, but one day it gets chopped off, and uh then the next day you can be like well now i've I've been through it, but obviously losing your mom is something much larger than your the tip of your pinky finger, hopefully uh and Having lived through that, I, again, I don't. it's only been eight days and I don't know how I'm going to feel in a week. I don't know how I'm going to feel in a month. But I don't need to worry about that because talking about it to people, I think incorporating it into this show is going to just help me reinforce the things that I want to maintain and retain and cultivate in all of this and it also allows me to speak very honestly and openly and sincerely in a way that i think has been lacking you know I, I i've been talking so much about these these neurotic observations and these processes i go through on this show and these random thoughts and there's this comedy and i've been able to find the comedy in this too uh you know my mom always told me that you know, you can find comedy in different situations and when her a uh, little brother died when he was in his early 20s, and she was very close to him. She told me a story growing up about how uh, they were all at, I think, his house or one of their houses, and a truck showed up a couple days after he died, and they started unloading a cardboard box that looked coffin-shaped or looked body-shaped, and they all started freaking out. They're like, they're delivering him here in a cardboard box? And it turned out a table just was scheduled for delivery that day. And the table just happened to be shaped, or something like that. Some sort of either table or appliance. And the family was freaking out because they thought they were delivering her brother's body in a cardboard box to the house. And when they realized that wasn't it, they just got a huge kick out of it. You know, so you have to be able to find the comedy in all of this. And i, I that's another gift my mom gave to me, is just the ability to find that. and And to be able to be irreverent along with the reverence that you have, and to see irreverence as actually a form of reverence. If you're capable of being irreverent in the right way, that itself is a form of reverence, and my mom would have loved that. She would have loved me to have found the irreverent humor in all of this. And of course, there are some aspects of it I can't even imagine joking about. But I have been able to take, you know, some... You know, some of her wisdom and and apply it to this situation. And that's just so incredible To, to be able to take the things that I learned from her and to apply them to a situation, an incredibly difficult situation that revolves around her passing is more than I ever could have asked for. And I, I've asked for nothing in all of this. I truly have asked for nothing. And what she has left me with has allowed me to learn so much in the span of eight days. And it's given me so much of her wisdom to unpack. And it's given me so much of my own thoughts and my, my own beliefs to unpack. That uh, Can you hear that the leaf blower? It sounds really loud. Um. <laughs> uh, but anyway... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm distracted by a leaf blower. That feels like it's a good way to end this episode. It's just like this loud leaf blower just cutting through the mic and just drowning everything I say out. It's like, I'm trying to talk about my mom here. I'm trying to talk about my mom here, and you're out there with a leaf blower. You're drowning out my precious thoughts about my ma, and you got a leaf blower. I think that this is going to come in waves where I have a lot I'm going to need to say about this, and I'm I'm fortunate that I do have a show, and as much as I'm opposed to the idea of taking, you know, these sacred aspects of reality and like incorporating them into some kind of platform i i'm more than comfortable doing it with this and that's funny to me it's funny to me that i feel like i can do that and i feel liberated i feel like because i am at the epicenter of this whole situation everything i do is exactly what i should be doing or can be doing and it's it's like a friend of mine was saying we were talking about the buddhist aspect of this and how the day after my mom died, I was going through her books, and I found a copy of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and I remembered that I had actually bought that for her, she asked for it for Christmas some years back, maybe last year, a couple years ago, I don't remember when, but I bought it for her, and I was like, I'm going to read this, and then in that moment, though, I had forgotten that I bought it for her, and then when I remembered that I bought it for her, I was like, how fitting is this, that I bought her that copy of the Tibetan Book of the Dead and then I found it right after she died and now I'm going to read it. And my friend of mine was saying, you know, it's one of those meant to be things, but because it is, it is meant to be because that is the idea, the idea is that you know, if it what is is um if what if what's meant to be is what is then there's really no distinction between those things. And you can take something like, again, we're into cliches here, but the idea of what's meant to be, you can look at that and you can use it as this excuse to not take action or not to take opportunities. But there are times when you should and at least could take opportunities. There are times when you can take action. But when you can't and when things simply happen, I do think you have to accept that. And you have to accept that, when something is, it is meant to be. And you know, finding something like the Tibetan Book of the Dead, it had that feeling to it. I was like, this does seem just a little, this seems pretty perfect. With all of the imperfections that play out, and of course the imperfections sort of are the perfection, uh, but when, with all these imperfections and all these crazy things going on, it is nice when you do have that sense that something is meant to be, and I feel that all of this was and is, and because it was and is there's no distinction between what's meant to be and what actually is and it's easy to get yourself into some kind of like tongue twister or like not even know what you're saying when you say all those things um, but uh that's just been an interesting aspect of this too. And even thinking about her death itself and just being like, you know, if you had asked me to to design the ideal death for my mom or something, or how would I prefer her to die, I can't ask for anything else. This is what happened. And I'm just thankful that it wasn't a car accident or something worse where somebody else was responsible because I I think that's a whole other issue and I don't know how I'd be dealing with that right now but because this was something in her body this was something that was affecting her body and it was her body alone that gives me some peace and I think it allows me to deal with things the way I've been dealing with it and I can't imagine coming up with a different scenario her body rebelled and I got to be there what else could I ask for? Would I have loved another 10 or 20 years with my mom? Yeah. Obviously, I would love to have had my mom forever. I would love to be immortal. Uh, maybe not, but I would love to have had my mom, you know, my entire life. But would I want to be an old man and, and go through this experience? If, it, if it's what played out, that's what would play out. But I think the fact that I'm forced to go through this, you know, right before I turn 34 can only benefit me in the long run. I think the fact that I have to deal with this now can only push me further along my path at a much more rapid rate, at least in the short term, than I ever planned on moving. And with that, it's like, would I rather be 70 years old and lose my mom when she's, you know, 100? Uh, I think she'd be 108 if I was 70. Um, But, uh, No, you know, I don't. I don't think I would want that. I don't think I would want to have to go through this at the end of my life or in my senior age. You know, and I don't. I think that there's a beauty to that. I think there's a beauty to somebody who has their mom until they themselves are older. But the fact that I have to go through this now, I can only see. I can only see that as an opportunity and that's been you know I've had a bird's eye view of everything I've been able to see people and their responses and I've been able to see people at the store from this bird's eye view like I went to the grocery store for the first time and I was walking down like the big main aisle that feeds into all the the checkout stands and this lady started to back into me with her cart and there was nothing I could have done. I was just walking straight forward, and I didn't notice her, and she started to back into me with her cart, and I said, oh, I'm sorry. Even though it wasn't my fault, I just felt, you know, I, I'm feeling very, uh, I'm feeling very generous, you know, as far as stuff like that goes, not to pat myself on the back or anything, but just like, I, you know, I, I just like said sorry, and she goes, you'll just have to wait, because I'm getting out of the way of a handicapped person. And it was just so funny to me because it's like she doesn't realize that, like, she thinks she's being she's she's being so self-righteous, like she's getting out of the way of a handicapped lady in one of those uh, ride on carts. And she doesn't realize that she's backing into the son of a, a woman who just died a very sudden death. And I'm in the grocery store for the very first time since my mom's passing, and it's like, you think you're doing something so virtuous by getting out of the way of a handicapped, peop, a handicapped lady, but meanwhile, you're backing into the to somebody who just suffered a, I don't want to say suffered, I don't feel like I've suffered, but somebody who's just gone through an incredibly difficult and tragic situation, and isn't that just a perfect little, like, illustration of life, you know, and, and what being self-righteous does, and I wasn't even mad. I didn't say anything, I just kept moving, and I honestly enjoyed it. I, I found so much humor in that interaction, and, and it really was this this perfect little illustration of, like, you think you're doing so much good, and you think that I'm somehow, like, this selfish guy who's just trying to sneak past you while you're trying to do something good. Meanwhile, you have no idea. You have no idea. And... I'm getting a phone call, so I got to go, but I have a lot of thoughts on this, and I see this as an opportunity. Yeah, that was actually a really fitting phone call to end this with, just adding this little bit in here. Uh, it was the the funeral service letting me know, uh, she's not having a memorial or a funeral or anything, she just wanted to be cremated, but that phone call was just letting me know that my mom's ashes are available for pickup. And I feel like that's actually a very fitting note to end this episode on. Uh, gonna go pick up my mom's ashes and I'm sure that's gonna open all kinds of possible reactions and feelings but it's part of the process and it's an important one and even though my mom wasn't very attached to the you know some sort of material memory of her uh, she didn't want a tombstone she didn't want to be buried she didn't want a funeral or memorial service with people she just wanted to be cremated and to have family spread the ashes And so she wasn't very attached to this idea of creating a material memory of herself. But it is interesting that for now, there will be this material part of her, you know, until we spread our ashes. And it's fitting that that material is ash. (laughs) ¶¶